box to box stoppage time. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Hello and welcome to Box to Box Stoppage Time. You're with Rob Gilbert, Derek Dyson and Willem Dan Van Denderen for our podcast. Well, we go through highlights. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, our highlights of the past week. Our teams and moments of the week and plenty more. Uh, guys, I really did enjoy uh, your efforts last week. Um, I know that uh, there, there were a few challenges around, around producing the show, but uh, but sometimes the ones that come off are uh, a little looser, the funniest. And um, I know we've already talked about it in the main show, that conversation about uh, about uh, 007. And uh, I just, I mean, I can just never get enough of the 007 theme music, Derek, and... Um, you know, the Bonnie Rig, um, what are they? The Bonnie Rig team from... Uh, the Bonnie Rig Rose. That's it. And, and the and the Bonnie Rig White Eagles from uh, from Western the western suburbs of Sydney, well? Yes. No, it was, uh, it was one of my favourite stoppage time uh, additions, Rob. Um, yeah, we uh, we got it together and there was some uh, some movie reviews, some FFA Cup reviews. Uh, good fun. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, let's get this one off and see if we can we can match it. Well, Derek, why don't you kick us off with with your game of the week? I, I like your choice, and uh, I did a bit of reading up on it afterwards. So, uh, yeah, um, fire away, mate. Yeah, I mean, uh, viewers or listeners, I should say, probably will think it's a bit weird that with all the uh, galaxy of football and games that I could have chosen, that I've plucked something from the uh, beach soccer World Cup which is a FIFA-sanctioned uh, tournament uh, that is going on right now uh, in Dubai, which would be a great place to uh, have a beach soccer tournament. Uh, presumably there's, there's endless amounts of uh, sand and desert there. Um, you know, I picked a game between Spain and Iran. And now, amazingly, um, Iran were one of the favourites, uh, not just for this game, but for the tournament as well. Uh, in beach soccer terms, uh, yeah, okay, you, you can probably imagine the likes of uh, Brazil are, you know, one of the favourites given their sort of Samba, Copacabana type football styles. But there are some surprises too. Would you believe that Russia are the defending champions, albeit they're not playing in this tournament because uh, because of what's happening uh, around the world? Uh, and amazingly, Switzerland, that, that land of beaches, uh, they're one of the top teams as well. Um, and Iran, uh, Iran are too. And they were playing Spain and won this game on penalties after a six-all draw. Um, you know, Spain scored from the kickoff, and it's one of one of the quirks of the rules in um, beach soccer is you can actually score direct uh, from the kickoff. Uh, just a few uh, words on beach soccer. The ball is a little bit lighter than a regular um, football because you're playing barefoot it's not quite like those balls you'd buy from the milk bar uh you know the ones that you sort of kick it and it kind of goes in the three or four different directions as the wind or the valve takes it it's not too far away probably like a volleyball or something uh, they play three uh 12 minute well they're not quarters are they they're, they're thirds um and it is one of uh, one of the key statistics i was looking at statistics is goals scored by overhead kick is a statistic that they capture so they're obviously expecting a lot of those. But anyway, Spain scored from the kickoff and went 3-0 up thanks to an overhead kick. Um, and then Iran pulled one back. It was a mega bounce off the sand of Britain here. So you can hit kind of like a ball along the ground and a little bit like when Pepe Reina was scuppered by the beach ball. Um, you know, so it, it can take a bit of a uh, launch off a mound and it can, can go all sorts of places. But when it went into the goal, um, Spain... Uh, 
got it out again to five two, and they were they were cruising. Um, uh, and then Iran, Iran, Iran pegged it back. Another amazing uh, overhead kick, and Iran was six five up. Um, and uh, Spain managed to score with one second to go. And then, of course, it went to uh, penalties, which uh, Iran won on. So an absolutely um, fantastic game. Uh, I'm going to keep a track on this as, as it's going on. As I said, it is a FIFA-accredited tournament. There's no, um, you know, kind of two-bit uh, operation. And, and if you're wondering about uh, Australia, um, the, the beach socceroos, or I think that's what they're called, they haven't actually qualified for this tournament six uh, 2006, um, their, their best attempt in any kind of major competition was fourth in the Asian edition of it in 2013. So despite Australia definitely being a land of, of beaches, uh, haven't really uh, kept the standards up in the beach football stakes, guys. Work to do. Well, it's embarrassing. And um, I think if I uh, was looking for a comprehensive beach football report, we just got it, didn't we, Willem? That was phenomenal. Yeah, no, you've been getting funky with it, Derek. There were some Optus stats a couple of weeks ago, uh, the Bond music, uh, and now, uh, yeah, taking it to the beach. I like it. Some, uh, some, some different gear from you over the past couple of weeks. Uh, my game of the week, uh, maybe a little bit more on Broadway, uh, was Luton Town against Manchester United. Uh, it was the, the 5.30 Sunday kickoff, uh, or, yeah, thrilling game, really, uh, in which, maybe for the benefit of the viewer, but to the uh, the detriment of, uh, of both managers, neither side had control in midfield at any stage. Uh, United 2-0 up in a blink through uh, through Rasmus Hoyland, who had a, a really tough first six months, but now has 8-8 eight and, eight and looks to have, have really settled at 21 uh, alongside Garnacho and, and Kobe Mainu. This, uh, this could be his side going forward if... Uh, yeah, the uh, they, they can write their own their own uh, sort of yeah history. These boys they look like a, a good bunch uh, all there together. But as we know, two 0 uh, is the most dangerous scoreline for United, and Luton were were back in it pretty much straight away. Uh, slight hesitation from Onana. If you want to be critical, allowed Carlton Morris to slip in, and we'd had three goals in fourteen minutes, and remarkably that was it for the game. But uh, not through the want of uh, not through the want of trying. Uh, I think this is probably United's. Best 11, Derek, Casemiro and, and Varane back in. But as I said, nobody could really put a foot on the ball. And uh, Luton had, were chasing the game, but they had 59% possession, eight corners, four shots on target. Uh, could easily have had an, uh, an equaliser. Uh, but man, you, things are, things are sunny for now. Uh, and they roll on. If I can just throw you one uh, without, uh, without notice there, Derek, if there's one player who really does look out of sorts and unhappy, really, it's Marcus Rashford. He's pretty apparent and, uh, and obvious at times with his body language. Uh, Hoyland is now playing through the centre, and I think that's probably Rasmus, uh, sorry, Rashford's best position. Uh, Rashford out on the left, and yeah, he's not happy. Uh, does he have, yeah, is, is he closer to the end there than the start? What do you think? Well, he's, uh, well, as we're going to talk about in my hot topic, he, he's a candidate apparently for Paris Saint-Germain uh, to go and replace uh, Mbappe. And you kind of think that for both parties, maybe a clean start for both of them might be the, the best way to go because uh, Rashford has come under increasing pressure from Manchester United fans who love him. Like he, he's one of their own. He came through the, the youth system. He's a Manchester lad, but there have been, uh, you know, I think he was dropped because he was late for a training session or late for a, a match day meeting. There was, of course, the shenanigans, so to speak, of went out passing in Belfast with one of his mates for a couple of nights as well. And look, the, the media do like to get the knives out for Rashford because 
let's face it, he's a he's a um, a, a young uh, black uh, guy uh, who made the government look stupid and made Boris Johnson and his cronies look stupid and got a great result with the uh, with the school dinner. So any little slip or trip was always going to be capitalised by that right wing section of the media. You are right that his body language doesn't look great, and you know this is in a revitalised um, for uh, Manchester United, who have now won four games of on the bounce. They are putting themselves back in the conversation, not just for Europa League, but but potentially higher uh, as well. And you're right to call out Hoyland because he's had he had a very tough start to life, but he's now starting to look the real deal and. You know, Manchester United do have other players in those attacking wide positions. Ganacho is another one who who looks really cemented at starting berth too. So I think Rashford will have to fuck his ideas up for one of a better expression, or it might be you know get to the end of the season and maybe he needs a clean clean fresh start. It'll be interesting to see because when he, he's on fire, he's a beautiful player to watch and he's got such a clean finish. But uh, the um, the body language right now, I think he'd be probably in the grand final with one Erling Brad Harlan for bad attitudes uh, when it comes to um, to the podium finishes of, of players. And uh, if you keep that up uh, when uh, you're not um, putting them in the back of the net, then you're going to be in some trouble. Now, a bloke who has been putting them in the back of the net for my game of the week um, is one H. Kane. Uh, he scored again on the weekend for Bayern against Bochum. But as we all now know, it wasn't enough. It's just fascinating to, to watch what's happening here in, in the Bundesliga. So uh, anyone who watches football in Germany closely is well aware that uh, Bayern have won the last 11 titles in, in the Bundesliga. And you would have thought that Harry's just going to turn up and, and after you know a trophyless career at, at Spurs, uh, uh, surely he's going to win something. Uh, he obviously didn't win the German Super Cup uh, in his first match uh, where he came on as a substitute. They, uh, they were unexpectedly beaten in that one. But uh, this result against Bochum. Now, Leverkusen had had a win and stretched their, their margin, but you thought surely... Bayern are playing a side that's at the, the, the bottom end of the Bundesliga table. They'd only won four games for the entire season and uh, and they've just got to get out there and do the job. So uh, unable to do that. And, and Thomas Tuchel's side's now eight points behind uh, behind Xavi Alonso's uh, league-leading Bayer uh, uh, Leverkusen. He's, he's even admitting that uh, the title doesn't look realistic. And I think I sent a... a, a, a link to a tweet out after you guys did the show last week showing that at least Harry Kane is going to win one trophy this season. It's going to be the top scorer. And if you, if you, um, you've got a moment to do a little bit of desktop research, uh, to find out what that trophy is going to be, Derek, what does it look like? It is a giant cannon, very reminiscent exactly. of the emblem of Arsenal football club. What what an irony that is! He's, he's going to win a trophy. It's not going to be silverware, and it's going to be something that is identical to the Arsenal cannon. I just hadn't picked that one as as my hot topic because you know it, it, I I was one of those people who kept on thinking they'll get it together, but and they'll eventually win. They'll finish on top. Harry will lift the trophy, and that'll be it. But um, Leverkusen just keep on winning, and Bayern just keep on losing. So, uh, yeah, for me, that was the game of the week. All right, uh, gentlemen, teams of the week. There's plenty of uh, plenty of choices here. Um, Willem, why don't you uh, fire away? Uh, 
Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Monza from the City R, Robertown, best known perhaps not for football, but for uh, Formula One racing as home of the Autodromo Nazionale Monza or the uh, the Temple of Speed, which is one of the better sporting nicknames uh, going around. They spent 46 seasons in the second tier, 44 in the third and eight in the fourth uh, in all the various uh, sort of iterations of of what the, uh, the the tiers were called but yeah 46 44 and 8 this is their second in the uh, in the top flight uh, and on sunday evening they found themselves 2-0 up against ac milan at half time uh, that was then whittled back to or, or pulled back to to being two all uh, but they found a win through bondo in the 90th minute and colombo in the 95th uh, so that's a uh, that's a huge win uh, for Monza, AC Milan, a proper shock. They're uh, they're up in the top bunch. Monza mid table, uh, but yeah, this is a uh, yeah maybe a little bit like uh, Wigan, uh, Derek, a, a club who are in a town where they're not the uh, the main football uh, club, uh, or rather the same code. Something we're pretty familiar with here in Australia, but not so much in uh, football powerhouses like uh, like England slash the UK or, or like Italy. But yeah, that's a uh, that's a big win. So Monza can have the uh, the gong for mine for team of the week. Yeah, it's it's maybe not the, the yeah, it's a great story. I, I think they're owned by um, Silvio Berlusconi, aren't they? So it, it, oh, yeah, it might okay. not, it may not be the kind of rags to riches tale that that you thought. Uh, but but yeah, of course, and and the irony being against um, AC Milan, Berlusconi's former club. And I do like that you name checked the score of Bondo as well. We got Bond into the stoppage time for the uh, for the second uh, week in a row, and of course. Bondo is what uh, Tiger Tanaka calls Bond in uh, "You Only Live Twice" uh, because uh, the uh, yeah. the Japanese can't cope with the uh, the hard uh, consonants. So Bondo's son uh, gets the goal oh, for Monza. Nice. Oh, I had to win my stripes back after my fiasco with getting the wrong Bond film uh, sequence wrong last week. I was going to say if they're owned by uh, Bill Lasconi, not rags to riches, but shags to riches, Derek. Bunga bunga. My lot of run with that, Rob. Okay. Moving. Yeah, all right, moving right along. Okay, my team the week is Perth Glory. Okay, so uh, to get it back local, I know, Willem, you talked about it at length uh, in the main show earlier on in the week, but uh, I, I liked a, an article. I've read uh, The Raw pretty regularly. I mean, uh, since Keep Up's gone... Um, you 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 got to search around for good football copy these days. Uh, I know Joey uh, Lynch is always putting out good copy, and um, and and uh, and uh, Vince uh, Regari uh, with the nine newspapers. But uh, if you want to read some good uh, good copy on uh, on football, get onto the Raw. Uh, Dave Shalovsky wrote uh, one of the league's biggest off-field sagas has finally come to an end with property developers, the Pellegra Group confirmed as the new owners of Perth Glory, the WA side, who were the only foundation club never to have won an A-League championship, have been struggling on and off the pitch for years, dating back to the tail end of the Tony Sage era. It's an important step. And Ross Peligro, who is behind this, um, as as, uh, Shalovsky wrote, if he's serious about his rhetoric and he said all the right things so far, then they're going to substantially invest in the club. Uh, I feel that uh, Alan Stajic deserves um, an opportunity to stay at the club. Uh, uh, Five uh, wins, or not five wins, but their unbeaten streak. He finally seems to be getting a tune out of the side. Uh, It would be great to see the, the glory, um, Willem, I know I'm going to uh, repeat the words that uh, Pellegrini used and, and you uh, uttered in the in the main show to, to return them back to, to those glory days when they were the benchmark of football uh, marketing and presentation and and uh, and crowd participation in this country. 
Yeah, the 90s were a couple of generations before my time sort of watching the game, but it's an era that's spoken about so fondly and so frequently when they came into the NSL uh, as a franchise and not a uh, an ethnically uh, or a club with uh, roots in an ethnic community. They were a franchise and to an extent a lot of people um, thought that they showed the way forward, a sort of a homogenous club for all. Um, and yeah, I mean... It, we have Daniel Garbon pretty regularly, and he was—he uh, grew up in that era on the terraces there in in Perth, and he, he speaks about it all the time. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a famous famous era and one that's sort of retained uh, in in the hearts of many. And the glory, yeah, uh, they they came pretty close under Tony Popovich. It hadn't occurred to me they were the only foundation club not to win a championship. They. Oh, they, they were the best side in it for a couple of years, so maybe that's harsh. They did win a couple of premierships to, to catch them out on the technicality there. But, yeah, Stadge will be the man. I don't have their, their immediate record over the past couple of months in front of me, but uh, I did speak about the siege mentality that he's, uh, he's formed within them, uh, and they are getting result after result at the minute. Adam Taggart's got the captain's armband. David Williams is playing alongside him, so there's some experience there. There's some really young boys in there as well. Daniel Benny has been playing up front alongside them, so uh, I think they are moving in the in the right direction. They've had some uh, yeah, a difficult couple of years, and maybe we should give the APL a little pat on the back for that, because I think they brought in Marco Bresciano as part of Football Australia's board to uh, oversee things alongside Corda Mentha. Uh, now getting into a world I don't know too much about, but that is a business deal that has been done and we can look forward from a glory perspective. Yep, no, no, well done. Okay, um, hot topic time. Um, hey, hey, I've done my team of the week, yeah. Oh, no, sorry, moving right along. You've done all this work and I'm, I'm, I'm just uh, leaving your best work on the cutting room floor. Derek, the floor is yours. Yeah, uh, keen to go back to the... The women's super league we spoke about it in in the main show and yeah look it would have been tempting to give it to arsenal they had a fantastic win against manchester united that put them back in the uh back in the hunt for the for the title uh, but i've actually gone for man city ladies uh they've ended chelsea's 22 game unbeaten run and they're now level on points in the women's super league's ta- table um they were propelled by Cardija Shaw, who's uh, already scored 14 goals this season, clinical finish uh, in uh, this game after a great, a great ball from from uh, Jess Park. And to be honest, a few City really uh, dominated uh, this game. Uh, they'd already taken points off Chelsea uh, this season um, uh, with uh, a, a draw at home, um, and they've been in excellent form since November. They've won eight. WSL, WSL matches in a row, which is the longest run of uh, any team uh, at the moment. Uh, and what that what that um, means is that yeah, Chelsea and Manchester City are top, and then Arsenal are now back uh, back three points. Um, the game was at Kings Meadow, which is Kingston FC's uh, ground. Uh, in comparison to the sixty thousand at at the Emirates. I'm not trying to disparage the people that turned up there, but it did look a little little bit uh, second second rate compared to that. Terrible camera angles uh, galore. Um, but yeah, a hearty crowd and they seemed to enjoy what was a, a really good um, a really good tussle. So not, not often that I'm singing the praises of uh, Manchester City, but uh, their girls have certainly made the running of the Women's Super League very interesting now. 
Mm, yeah, and, um, and and it's great. I mean, we all, uh, those of us who are of a certain age, you know, of the, well of the golden era that culminated with uh, the, uh, the the best uh, crop of, of Australian men's players uh, finally breaking the drought and getting to, to the World Cup. Uh, uh, I think we took for granted the fact that these men were playing in the top flights across uh, continental Europe. Uh, it's something that um, that we, we ought not to, to uh, underestimate this time around when we have so many players uh, playing in these top flights in uh, in the emergence and growth and maturity of of this this women's competition all right now willem you and i sort of crashed into each other like simultaneously with our hot topic and we we ended up making the decision that it was something that was uh, profound enough uh, and important enough in the football firmament to actually share the discussion so um why don't we we play some audio first and then and then we'll get into it so for anyone who missed it uh this is uh Marco Mark Rudan, the Western Sydney coach, uh, um, in uh, an outburst that um, that had him heavily penalised by uh, the uh, the FA. There is an absolute stigma attached to my football club. It's clear for all to see. You can say whatever you want, but this guy Adam, whatever his name is, Adam Kernsey or whatever, right? There's a bit of history between myself and him, and he knows that very well. For the life of me, how Jaman stays on the pitch when he kicks out at my player in that first half. I have absolutely no idea how that is only deemed a yellow card when it's a retaliation, it's a clear red. It happened to my players last year. But when it does happen to my football club and my players, they don't even think twice. It's a straight red. The last two weeks, I've had two players who are not synonymous for making fouls or being dirty, yet straight reds. Alex King was the VAR tonight, message to us was not enough angles to see if, if it was, if the ball was over the line for the winner. Come on. We're having a, and then the linesman is clear and adamant that he went over the line at the same time with three or four bodies around him. Okay, no dramas. They don't look at it, but the one that really angers me is the yellow card that Jamali clearly kicks out and throws his studs. Now my two reds in the last two weeks, they're not kicking out. They're not showing studs. So we try to avoid playing long slabs of audio during the podcast. It can get a little boring because, you know, it's available on YouTube, on, on any number of sporting platforms, podcasts, uh, et cetera. But, but this one in particular, we sort of felt demanded to be played in, in, in its full contents, context because uh, Redan uh, has given – a forethought. This is a, this is a, a decision that he's made to go to a press conference and uh, and unload on Adam Kersey, uh, the referee, as is, it's is, uh, correctly pronounced. Um, and he, he misses entirely the irony of what he's doing uh, by slamming a referee and uh, and giving free rein to to other managers and people involved in football at all sorts of levels to suggest that um, as a role model he can do and say whatever he likes. If that's good enough for somebody of his stature in the A-League, then it's good enough for anybody. He ends up with a three-match ban after the, the show cause uh, uh, notice, Willem. Uh, I don't think that that's enough. I enjoyed Rudan as a player. I enjoyed him as a media commentator. I think he's an excellent football coach. But uh, for him to uh, to come off the long run and slam a referee the way he did uh, with what appears to be the tacit support of his entire organisation is a disgrace. Yeah, we could have covered this a little bit earlier, Rob. That audio was from Feb 4 and this has bubbled along. And then this week it was good of Football mm. Australia and James Johnson to come out and 
back the referees, basically. Uh, so, as you say, a three-game ban for Rudern. Now, in the intervening period last week, uh, there were another couple of... So that was after the round 14. After the round 15 game, there was another red card, and he was uh, he was asked by a, a journalist, proper questions, what did you think of the Reds? And he smirked his way through, no comment, no comment, can't question the establishment, all that sort of carry-on. Uh, and, yeah, it was, I mean, it's just... it's It's been out of line. Uh, very disappointing to see the most recent game on Sunday, the Wanderers, against uh, against the Mariners. Rudan was in the stand serving the first of his three-game ban, although one of those matches is suspended, so uh, he's already halfway through it. Uh, to see the Wanderers bench act in the exact same way. So Jess Van Stratton and John Paul DeMarini are the two assistant managers. Uh, well, one of them is a goalkeeper coach, and they just hounded Daniel Elder all day. It was just appalling, really. Well, DeMarini's uh, got form. You remember yeah. that incident um, at uh, when he was Park with Sydney a few years ago? Yeah, yeah, ran onto the ground. Um, and they've read what the but they've so near the Wanderers because Jacob Farrell of the Mariners should have been sent off for a tackle on uh, Marcos Antonsen and Antonsen's in a, in a moon boot and could be out for a little bit. So there should have been a red card against the uh, the, the Wanderers there, but they've uh, yeah they've, they've made such pests of themselves over the past uh, couple of weeks that, um, yeah, they, they haven't been rewarded uh, in in that way. So, no, it's been it's been not good enough. And, yeah, for Rudan, uh, he went on and on in that in that presser, Rob, and he then did bring up a few other points, which maybe did have a degree of merit around how the Wanderers as a club are perceived, but that had nothing to do with refereeing. So he conflated the issue, sort of Trojan horse it into the discussion and blamed the referees for a whole bunch of other issues, which, as I said, had some merit, but were not appropriate or relevant in that, that situation. Well, anyone who's listened to this podcast long enough knows that I, I grew up in that heartland. I grew up in Western Sydney. My father still lives in the suburb of the house that I grew up in. And uh, one of my brothers, uh, Pat, has been on this show. Uh, he's a, a fan of the Western Sydney Wanderers. They are a, a credit to the league when they're playing well. But to have a leader, a manager, um, if, if it had been in any other league around the world and he had have said what he had said in a post-match press, press conference, it would have made football headlines around the world. Uh, it's embarrassing for him. It's embarrassing for the competition. Um, and uh, and hopefully somebody uh, who uh, is an advisor to him will, will, uh, will get into his ear and, uh, and encourage him to, to, to pull his head in and, uh, and show the, the, the type of behaviour that that a proper leader needs to show in, in this uh, game in this country because, uh, as we know, unlike so many other countries around the world, football in this country uh, is its own worst enemy uh, because it has so many so much other competition, whether it's from the AFL, from Rugby League, Rugby Union, all of these other competitions wanting to put the boot in. And every time football steps out of line, we just give them uh, ammunition. And, and that was a perfect case in point there. Guys, let's wrap it up there. Um, I think this is a conversation we can continue on for another day. Uh, Derek, you have a good week, mate. Until next time. Thanks, Chance. Well, thank you. Thank you, Roberto. Catch you. And Adam, again, mate, for doing the usual brilliant job that you do. Uh, to our listeners, thanks again for tuning in. Please subscribe to Box to Box, Stoppage Time and Offside, whether you get your podcast, tweet us at Box to Box and follow us on X and like us on Facebook wherever you can and make sure you join us throughout the week as our podcasts drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Cup.